0: Your target audience doesn't just have to be your existing client base. And that's what influencers can be used for. They can help you find those aspirational people. Maybe you like really want a younger demographic and you're scared to go on TikTok, but There's a whole world of new customers on TikTok that you haven't touched. Use influencers to introduce it to that world, to that platform. To me, that's the best starting point. It's either an existing brand that already has a proven track record of who is buying and who is engaging, and then who are the people you want to touch that you haven't touched yet, and how can influencers take you there and be the vehicle to get you in front of those people?
1: You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast, hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? Great question. In short, a good time, great conversation, and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders in the space, I explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to chat. Are you ready to listen? In this episode, we are covering the Influencer Insider Guide, which has lots of insights to share from my very good friend, Katie Stoller. Now, Katie is an influencer marketing veteran who really began her career in fashion PR in LA, working with A-list celebrities and gifting suites. She's worked at global PR agencies in Chicago and led the influencer marketing team at Fiat Growth. Now an independent consultant and talent manager, Katie has launched Influencer Insider Guide, an education company for the influencer marketing industry. So let's get to it. Let's talk marketing with Katie. Katie, welcome to Let's Talk Marketing. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I'm so excited to chat. Same, same. And today we're going to talk about your Influencer Insider Guide, which I'm so excited to get that sneak peek ask you a ton of questions that people can walk away with from insights. But before we do that, let's dive into getting to know you a little bit. So I'd love to learn what was your first marketing role and what are you currently doing now?
0: Yeah. So I spent most of my career at big global PR agencies. I was at Ogilvy, Ketchum and Golan. And then most recently I was at a growth marketing startup called Fiat Growth. And before that I did a ton of internships I lived in LA for a short stint and worked in fashion PR, working with celebrities and lots of reality TV people that we sent clothes to. So that to me was like my precursor to what I do now and specialize in, which is influencer marketing. And now I am independent. I do both sides of the spectrum. I work with brands and consult them on strategy. And I also work with a couple influencer clients, consulting them on how to work with brands. So it's this big circle. And then most recently, as you've noted, my Influencer Insider Guide is now live. It's been the passion project I've been working on for almost 2 years. I started writing it a long time ago, didn't know what I was going to do with it, and decided to get it up online and get it in the hands of people that either touch Influencer but need to know more about it and dive deeper, or people that have never touched it but they're in a marketing role and they're like, I need to master this. And it's an everything guy that teaches you from start to finish how to do a successful program.
1: Oh, there are going to be lots of juicy nuggets that we'll talk about, which I'm excited about. So being independent, but also in the influencer space, what do you just love about the influencer marketing space or the creator economy in general? What do you love? But conversely, what would you pluck out of it and be like, okay, if I could never do this part, it would be perfection.
0: I feel like I never gave myself permission as a woman and a kid to be someone that just like loved celebrities. I think it was taboo and ditzy or like you seemed stupid or whatever, but I just always loved Hollywood and movies and celebrities and I didn't want to go into the path of making them. I just was like obsessed with the culture yeah and the fashion and the beauty and just I loved it and I think after having that internship in the middle of Beverly Hills with celebrities walking in and out, I was like, this could be a job. Like this could be a serious job. I knew I wanted to do something in the communications. That's what my degree was in field. And I thought PR just because it's communicating to the masses. Like I just didn't know what that meant. And it's funny because like it was 2009. So as I'm having all these thoughts... I graduated 2008. 2009 was like those first couple internships. As I'm having those thoughts, like literally behind the scenes, influencer marketing is starting to form. Its birth is happening. Yeah. So the stars aligned, and I went back to school and got a master's in PR and advertising in Chicago and got in with my first agency. And as all this is happening, Facebook's turning to monetize more, YouTube is taking off with these bloggers. We're starting to slowly talk about paying people money, but we're not really sure what we're paying them for and what that means. Everything's just happening. And 2014 rolls around and it just took off. And that's where everything went crazy. So your second part of the question of what don't I love? I love the storytelling, the relationships. I always call it the perfect match of a perfect brand and a perfect content creator telling a perfect story. That's what I live for. The side of it that I don't love as much, but I know it's important is more of the like CPM and in conversion. And I know brands need that data to need to spend money, but it takes away from the essence of what the industry was built on, which is connecting fans to tell why they're fans and to recruit more fans. So I'm trying to marry the two, the qualitative brand awareness side with the more like hard data, raw understanding of what we're doing side and why. But yeah, I think it's like a journey and it's constantly changing because these platforms literally change every five seconds.
1: Yeah. If they're not changing, they're adding one more platform that you then have to learn or do you need to learn? Is it just going to be a thing for the next few months? Is it what everybody's going to be talking about, but then it goes away? It's step in Clubhouse. That was all the rage. You had to be in Clubhouse. And now I don't think that I've opened the
0: app in almost two years. Clubhouse is such a weird one because I feel like you and I are in the same peer group of work and stuff. But I just feel like we went hard on Clubhouse. Very hard. My husband was literally like, your phone is glued to your hands. More than Instagram. More than YouTube. I went so deep into Clubhouse culture. And then one day it was just over.
1: I promise we won't make the podcast about this, but I do think there's a clubhouse element and like a social element. I feel like I could see what they were trying to do. And maybe this is just not the iteration of it. I do think that there's going to be a next kind of wave that marries the podcast style, the audio style with social networking. I don't know what it is. So like somebody will develop it and then we will also go hard on that. But speaking about social media networks, I think that as marketers, we have to stay up to speed, especially in the digital world where everything is evolving so quickly. So I'd love to know what social media networks do you go to for inspiration, entertainment and or education? Or do you even go to social networks for that? I've been interviewing people who are all over the board. They're like straight books, straight podcasts, whatever comes up on my news feed. So where do you go for inspiration? entertainment and education?
0: I find this conversation so interesting because you see someone and you're like, oh, that person probably does this. And it's people have their own repertoire of what they do every day. And it's all so different and interesting. I still am a pretty avid Facebook user. and I'm not that old. I like the functionality. I frankly just like how it is laid out. I think it's like the OG platform. We're all used to it. I like the visual with the words. I think the groups are amazing, but I mostly use it for anyone that is connected with me as like someone in my life, like a real person. My parents are on it, but I use it a lot for recommendations for local things. And when the network art the influencer network group that we're both part of is pretty active on Facebook. And then I'm definitely an Instagram girly from the OG days. I came up in 2008, the heyday of Instagram <laughs> blogging. So Instagram is probably like my go-to for day-to-day stuff. And I also for entertainment. Yeah. I mean, that's where I get on my Bravo news, which is very important in my life.
1: <laughs> I'm a people follower. So I love it when People Magazine comes up with stuff. I'm
0: like, that happened? Yes. I also value resources that I'm part of, whether it's like a paid organization or I do a lot of volunteer work. And we have a Slack channel for the volunteer group I'm part of. So I'm in Slack a lot. That's actually newer. It's not really a social media channel, but just The community platform. I know WIM, I'm bringing up WIM again, but a community of networking peers, lots of information sharing goes through their social media today articles, just what's going on with the apps. And then the other one I have to mention is podcasts. We were just talking about Clubhouse. I've heard stats and I don't know where I've heard them. I can't quote them, but I've heard recently that podcasting is at the point of where the internet was in the 90s. Like it's just getting so popular. And we haven't even hit the peak yet. Because I still have friends that don't listen to podcasts, which to me is like crazy.
1: I also feel like it's crazy. To me, that's entertainment and education and inspiration.
0: And it can be on the background. Like you don't need your eyes. You don't need as much attention on it. So I think we're not even nearing the podcasting heyday. And I think that there will be more like social short form, maybe type audio only apps coming out. But I love myself a podcast.
1: Same, same. We'll have to exchange the podcasts we listen to. I actually would say that I go to them. There are a few business podcasts that I will follow, but to me, it's such easy entertainment. I love it. It's like an easy tune in, fold the laundry, walk the dogs, cook dinner. It is true. It is something that you can have in the background. Versus a show where there are those silent moments that you have to go back and take a look at. And I don't know, I always feel productive when I'm listening. I'm like, okay, I've made myself a little smarter for 20 minutes. And this is also the inspiration to this podcast as well, too. You want to be able to share nuggets with people in bite-sized forums. Now, we've talked about the social networks that you go to for inspiration, entertainment, and education. But again, where would you go to stay up to date on trends specifically? Is there a newsletter that you subscribe to? A group that you're like, I got to give a shout out to this group. Where do you stay up to date on trends?
0: LinkedIn is pretty much my main source of industry news. I always have a LinkedIn window open but I think LinkedIn's becoming just so much better. When I think of it before, it was like just when I was looking for a job, that was the only time I'd go on there. But I feel compelled to write on it. I feel compelled to comment. I don't know if it's a functionality thing or if it's just like a cultural thing. But I just feel like it's such a great place to get into it on topics. But I feel like the majority of my news either comes from people posting. The algorithm is as such still where it's very discoverable friendly. So you don't just see what that your friends are posting. I'll see something that you liked. And then I'm like, Oh my God, I don't know who this person is that she liked, but I love this person's post. So I'm going to follow them. Every time I'm on, I, I follow two or three new people. And then the newsletters that come out of LinkedIn, I get invited to probably like a couple a day and I delete most of them because they're usually not super relevant. But every once in a while, there'll be one on some sort of marketing or creator economy thing that I'm like, I wouldn't mind taking a peek at that in my inbox every day or every week. Found a couple from there that are pretty useful. Yeah, I think LinkedIn's probably my number one spot for industry trends.
1: I love it. Well, this is going to sound silly. I was going to say it's turned into such a community engagement platform as well, too. One of the things that I noticed that LinkedIn has come out with is they've got these LinkedIn AI groups that create posts. I don't know if you've seen these or they create articles. And in the articles, in between all of the content, there are spots for people to engage. And I'm like, that's freaking genius. I got to figure out how to do something like that. <laughs> that's a good merriment of AI and people.
0: yeah, <laughs> Actual people. I didn't realize that those were AI written. I knew it was like a collaborative thing, but I didn't realize it was an AI piece where humans come in and weigh in. I think that's genius. I believe that
1: it is, but if not, this is how rumors are started.
0: <laughs> I believe it.
1: <laughs> okay. So let's dive into talk and marketing. Let's talk about your influencer insider guide. I'd love a sneak peek, but first of all, why, why even create this piece? What made you do this? What was that inspiration?
0: Totally honest. I'm one of those weirdos that when inspiration strikes, I pop out of bed or I stop what I'm doing. I and mean, I have notes and notes and pages and pages of business ideas and business plans. And one of those people that I can't shut off my brain. And it's definitely a blessing and a curse. That's definitely not to brag. That's embarrassing, actually.
1: Not embarrassing at all. Toot that horn.
0: Weird, quirky, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I popped out of bed 3 a.m. one night and was like, I'm going to write this book. I was calling it a book for a while. Yeah. And I started just like, laying out chapters and writing down thoughts, and it just sat in my computer. And every job I've been in the past however many years, I've always either contributed to some sort of influencer playbook, or with my last job at Fiat, I was responsible for the entire department. So I put together the entire framework, and I kept writing this book over and over for different companies. Yeah. And it was always tailored to that company and more high level. But I noticed as I was writing it, I had so much more to say than what I could put in a slide. Always the feedback when I would write these little guides or playbooks as we were calling them. My feedback was always like you have way too much content on each slide, which as we all know, usually like five words on a slide. And I was writing like paragraphs. So I think that's where my middle of the night idea came from. I was like, I gotta get this out of my head. It's 15 years of experience. It's millions of dollars of brand deals. I've worked with probably thousands of influencers and celebrities. I'm like, I gotta get this out of my head. <laughs> so it was almost like a selfish therapy thing for me to start doing it. And I got laid off from my last job in February. And I was like, what am I going to do immediately? Like, what's something I can do as I either look for jobs or start freelancing? And I was like, I have this golden ticket sitting on my hard drive. Let's do something with it. So to speed this story up, I ended up having a mentor session with someone through WIM. And her and I were talking and I was giving her advice. And as we got to talking, she was like, have you ever thought of doing courses? You have so much to say. And you're so passionate. She noticed that from me within five minutes of talking to me. And I was like, yeah, I like the idea. But I always thought the word course just had a negative connotation. To me, it was like a money grab. It's this like whole passive income culture that we're living in on TikTok of everything is set it and forget it. That wasn't my style. I was a corporate girl. I never thought about it. And the more I talked to her, she had been someone that had taken a bunch of courses, bought eBooks gone to panels, gone to events, paid for all this stuff. And she was able to tell me what worked and what was clearly just a money grab. Her and I worked on this for two months. We built a website. She told me this you should get rid of, this you should add. And I just kept going back and refining, refining, refining. And we put together this really solid, comprehensive, beautifully laid out guide that really can help multiple groups of people. And it's yeah. from the perspective of someone that's worked on top brands I've worked at, top agencies with top clients, iconic household brands. And it's just my experience. The glossary at the end of the book has I don't know something like 50 terms. And it's not Merriam-Webster terms. It's like what it means to me and what, in my experience, qualitative research means. It's what whitelisting and dark posting and ad permission listing means. Yeah what exclusivity means. not as straightforward always as it seems. And it's just all this mindshare that I've had for years.
1: I love that. It's like an urban dictionary, but less cheeky. (laughs) Especially with over 15 years of experience going in there and building out these frameworks, I am really curious, what are some consistent misses, for lack of a better word, that you have seen time and time again? Like for me, when I go in and I'm looking at a strategy, it drives me nuts if someone has no objective or they haven't even thought about the metric that they're going to look at. Not that there's a silver bullet metric, but it's more than just saying, I want an influencer program. I I think that you have to have an objective. What do you want to get out of it? Is it brand awareness? Is it content? All of this stuff. But from your side of things, what do brands or influencer marketing managers tend to miss when they're first starting off?
0: I think first, I would say the majority of the courses and guides and stuff that you see, and even just commentary on social media is coming from the perspective of an already successful influencer. And they're selling the dream. They're selling, quit your day job. You can be an influencer. There's so much of that. So true. And that's great. If you sold a million dollar influencer business and you're living in the Bahamas somewhere, like you should write a course. That's amazing. But there's just a lot of that. And to get to that pinnacle of being an influencer is every second that we're speaking right now is becoming harder and harder because of oversaturation. I'm not saying that those are not valuable, but they're a dime a dozen these days. What you're not seeing is someone that worked at giant agencies from a PR lens and a brand building storytelling lens tell how to build an influencer program from the other side. So that was the white space that I wanted to fill. And then in terms of your specific question about What are people doing wrong that could use a guide that kind of walks them through? My answer is everything. This is for people that either have done it and didn't do it right or felt like they were missing something or someone that's never done it. The guide is set into four sections and there's specifics and there's sample pitches and all that, but it's to guide you on a path because finding an influencer to talk about you and giving them some money is 1% of what makes up an influencer program. So, so basically what you said, like you can't just go in and be like, here's what we think we want. Here's who we're going to hire. We're going to pay them 10 bucks. That's it. And I feel like a lot of small businesses, even medium-sized businesses go into it with that mentality. And there's just a better way. And it's not hard. Yeah, What we're doing is not that difficult. It's just, you need to be strategic to reap the benefit of it. If you're going to put in some budget, you can start with gifting, but The idea is to have this as part of your marketing mix and put some budget into it. You want to make sure you're doing it in a way where you're giving yourself a better shot to get something out of it.
1: Absolutely. I also think like, to your point, small to medium sized businesses, but also a lot of different sized companies do go into it thinking, yeah, we're going to do this. And they're really quick to pull the plug if it doesn't work immediately. I'm sure I've said this in another podcast, whether I'm interviewing or being interviewed, but I really feel like influencer marketing is like people SEO. You have to be able to give it time and you have to be able to nurture relationships in order to really be successful on top of obviously knowing what your just kind of objectives are. I am curious, what advice do you give to people who are trying to find their ideal influencer to be
0: their brand storyteller? So, everyone talks about target audience. That's like a pillar of figuring out your marketing strategy. And I think target audience is so important. It's like what the brand is built on. Who are these customers that are going to keep coming back, provide the LTV, and just be kind of your forever customers? But I also think there's something interesting with influencers about an aspirational target audience. So, I talk about that a little bit in the guide, but your target audience doesn't just have to be your existing client base. And that's what influencers can be used for. They can help you find those aspirational people. Maybe you like really want a younger demographic and you're scared to go on TikTok, but there's a whole world of new customers on TikTok that you haven't touched. Use influencers to introduce it to that world, to that platform. To me, that's the best starting point. It's either an existing brand that already has a proven track record of who is buying and who is engaging. And then who are the people you want to touch that you haven't touched yet? And how can influencers take you there and be the vehicle to get you in front of those people?
1: Yeah, I love that. Now I'm also curious, do you think it's a numbers game when working with influencers? And what I mean by that is, is it in order to be successful, you should work with a 1000 influencers? Or do you believe that you can work with a 100 solid influencers? Should I be looking at how many influencers I'm bringing in to have a successful program?
0: It depends on the size of the business and the size of the budget, because ideally you'll have an ambassador program where it's like anyone that wants to be your voice. They get a code, maybe they sign a contract that they're going to post every quarter or something. But ideally you have some sort of army of people and they don't even have to be influential. They're just like people that are shouting you from the rooftop. That's a huge amazing thing to include in your marketing plans. But not all brands can do that. Not all brands can afford to bring those people on and even give them a cut of affiliate dollars. So it's not like crucial, but I think that's a really great base point to start. And then micro to celebrity these days, none of it really matters, to be honest. I know that people are shocked to hear that, but it doesn't matter because the algorithms just have decimated organic reach. So you can have someone that has a thousand followers and you can have someone that has 10 million. Obviously, the person with 10 million is going to have more views. But it's just not how it used to be. We're like the 900 views and the million would get 999,000. Now it's like the person with the really big following might get really crappy views. And then why did you just give them hundred thousand dollars? Yeah. Organically these days, nothing is guaranteed. That's what I tell my clients and talk about in the book is just organic alone is purely brand awareness. It's purely matching personalities building up a content library, getting your name out there on social, but it's really not like a tangible thing you can count anymore, or I wouldn't recommend it. However, the importance of finding the right people and getting the right contract terms to then do more with the content using paid tools is 100% the strategy that everyone should be using. Without that ability to have that control with the paid tactics, you just don't know. These platforms have taken away, it's almost sad, but they've taken away the ability to spread your reach organically. That's why there's amazing paid strategists out there that can really help you spread your message to the right target, to the desired target, to new targets. They can do it on a location-based plan. And that's really where the conversion piece comes into this.
1: We are definitely going to get to conversions because I got questions about that for sure. But I do want to just double click into what you said about it's doing more than just organic. What do you mean by that? You mentioned obviously paid, but what else can I do with it? I'm sure that anybody that's starting off and is listening right now is, okay, great. But what do you mean, Katie?
0: What else can I do? Oh my gosh, there's so much you can do with influencer content. And this is why knowing how to read and write a contract is so important because you need to give yourself the flexibility to not just be like, post a reel for me and it'll go live and then people will forget about it and that's it. Or even more shocking is do a story frame and 24 hours, that's all you have. Make them turn it into a highlight. Do something more than just... Like, I get so scared when people just do with a quick story sequence. I'm like, you have 24 hours to do anything. That's not a lot of time. But there's so much you can do with the content. And I think that's the whole strategy now is... Find the right people, get a decent amount of content, expand beyond the one reel plus stories, get a couple reels, get more of a long form video, do a Instagram live with them and the founder of the company, do press interviews, always build in press opportunities. If this person is of any sort of noteworthiness and they can comment in an article, pitch them. That goes back to the principles of PR, but yeah, use these people as advocates for your brand. Can they show up at an event? Can they go to a trade show? Can they do a pop-up at a farmer's market? There's so many opportunities to use influencers in ways beyond social media, in ways just beyond them posting once for you. And then what I met before with the paid stuff is if you have a budget of $10,000, do not spend $10,000 on the influencer. Spend $4,000 on the influencer and allocate the other 6000 to paid. And that, I mean, that was just an example. Don't take that. Exactly. But (laughs)
1: they're walking away from the podcast or walking while listening to the podcast. They're like 10, 10 K Katie told me this is how I should divide it. But it is true. It is taking a look at what your overall budget is and not thinking that all of it should be spent on an influencer. It is all about amplifying that influencer. And also it serves the influencer well too. And that goes back to what I was talking about in regards to relationship, right? If you're also helping them out, they're going to help you. All of a sudden, you're a team and you're on the same side. You have the same goals. You both want to grow and you both want to get a bigger bottom line when it comes down to it.
0: Totally. And that actually reminds me of back to what I was saying about affiliates and like ambassador programs. I have an influencer client that I'm working with that the majority of her revenue, she doesn't do that many branded deals anymore. She's pretty big and has been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. But when I first met with her, I was like, how do you get paid? Because she doesn't do that much sponsored content anymore, maybe like once a month. But I was like doing the math in my head because I know how much these people charge. <laughs> and I'm like, she couldn't be making more than five, $6,000 a month. I know that she's making more than that. And we were talking and she said her most lucrative deal is a skincare thing that she discovered that nobody else was talking about. And she just cornered the market on it. She loved it. I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to give who she is away. But the specific purpose of what she was using it for was like unique. It was like an after workout product that removed oil and nobody else was using it. She found it on a trip or something and she was their number one salesperson. Above the actual salespeople in the company, every time she posted, she would sell like 10 or 15 tubes and she would post once a week. And she was getting 20% commission. I don't know. It was like a high commission. And that was her mainstream of income most influencers would die for that. I mean, that's amazing. He's already posting, but that's where I think the industry is more headed. And that's what I'm guiding other clients to do is find that golden product where you can build a relationship because it's so mutually beneficial then. They have their like sales gal and they don't need to micromanage. She's just doing her thing on social. And then for the influencer, they're not having to cloud their feed with so much sponsored content because they just have this regular stream of income coming in.
1: Absolutely. I'd also say the key, especially in that example, which is a fantastic example, is it's authenticity. She's used it. She loved it. She wasn't asked to post about it. She's, oh my God, this is a game changer. Who doesn't feel that way about something, some sort of product in their life? If you really take a moment to think, what would you want to get free as far as a product? Because you love it so much. I think the key to really successful programs as well is finding someone that can authentically represent your brand as well too. Because I would imagine it's also less work for the brand to be like, oh, can you post this? Can you post that? She's very invested in it and it's easy for her, right? I don't want to say it's easy as if there's no work for her, but that is truly the relationship that you're looking for.
0: Totally. And I feel like the naysayer in me, and I'm sure if people are listening, are like, oh, it's not fair. She gets to get pay to use something she already uses, but like the payment piece or compensation piece comes in in the fact that she has nurtured her audience for 10 plus years to trust her because she only recommends things she truly loves. And she's done that with integrity for the last 10 years. And now she's at a point where that is paying off. She's able to do what she does and was doing for free for many years. And she's been able to monetize it the layman might get a little bit of the ick when they hear that this is how things happen, because I don't think general public people realize that some of these deals are going on. But I just think of it as a more authentic way of watching a commercial. You know what I mean? It is unfair in some ways that she's using a product she would have already used, but she's getting paid X thousand dollars to do it. But it's just an interesting way that our culture has changed. And the benefit is that I've spent so much time curating this audience and really getting the trust that she's able to now get deals like this. And it's amazing. I think it's just such a
1: benefit. And maybe there is space for a lot of people to do it. But I think it's also what people get the real ick for, in my opinion, are the people who are just doing paid partnerships who are out there. Their whole feed is that I've actually stopped following certain people because they do so many partnerships. I like it when things are just seamless. You're talking about it. I'm curious about it. And you're going to answer questions about it. I think that those are the most fascinating things.
0: Yeah. People that are still trying to sneak in the ads. I'm just like, it's 2023. The six-year-olds on TikTok know what you're doing at this point. Like, yeah. <laughs> I respect a creator so much more that's like, I'm going to talk about this product. They reached out to do a partnership and here's why I like them. It just makes me feel so much better. And if I don't want to watch it, I can skip. Most of the times I like to watch because I'm just curious how they interpret the brief from a nerdy like marketing person. But Giving your audience the ability to skip on stories or swipe up on TikTok, whatever, and go to the next thing, I think is also a nod to being like, you guys know I have to do this. This is part of how I make money, but feel free to skip if you want type of thing.
1: (laughs) Exactly. You choose your own adventure. Those are also the influencers and creators that give you those conversions, which leads me to, I promised my second to last question. I know we're going to go over time, but this is just too juicy. I would love to hear your opinion or your thoughts on, because I hear this a lot and I just read this on a post as well, that influencer marketing is only a top of funnel strategy. Before I give my opinion, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that statement. Influencer marketing is only top of funnel.
0: It's so nuanced. I'd like to just be like, yeah, it's brand awareness. It's PR because that's the part of it that I love. Yeah. But there would be no more brand deals if that was true. Because brands would be like, I'm not just doing this for straight brand awareness. And then we're just washing our hands and moving on to the next. Like we used to do that. I used to get clients to give me 60 grand for a month and would find three influencers, pay them each 20K. And then my recap to them was like, they did great. (laughs) They had 2% engagement. On to the next. And the brands were like, great work. Fantastic! Yeah, And everyone's just shaking hands and looking at the content and being so excited that it's on an influencer's page, and that was enough. But brand managers these days are like, no, 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 like you're not getting sixty k unless I'm getting seventy k in sales, whatever the goal is. While I'd like to say it's top of funnel, I think the core essence of why it started is top of funnel. It's connection, sharing examples, it's get ready with me videos, it's unboxings, it's all that, but. There has to be a point at which we're holding influencers essentially accountable, not to sound aggressive, but like holding them accountable for driving sales. And I think it comes in two things. I think first from an influencer's perspective is learning how to drive conversion. And it's usually a very nuanced stylistic thing. It's how they read the ad. Are you giving actionable ways for the person to actually sign up? Are you encouraging them? Are you saying... No, trust me, like you got to try this. Or are you just like half-assing it and being like, this is a great product. And there's nuance to to really pushing your audience to try something and really be excited. And then the second part of it from the brand perspective is using paid strategies (laughs) to go back to my soapbox. But leaving it up to organic, it's nearly impossible to get it to more audiences. Everyone that's listening right now is like, TikTok, you can go viral. And I know, I'm aware that there's virality on TikTok. Virality is a whole other podcast episode. But I feel like that's what people come at with me when I give this whole spiel. They're like, yeah, but you spend $5,000. But to bank on that happening is not intelligent strategy. I don't think, of course, anything could pop off on TikTok. Usually, from what I've heard, the hashtag ad on TikTok pretty much is a barrier between going viral. Like they know it's paid. It's not going to just get fed everywhere unless it's something insanely amazing. It always goes back to more controlled tactics of getting it to more people. And when it gets to more people, that's when we see more conversions because it's hitting more people than have the ability to convert. The other thing I'll say on the organic side is that I did a post on this on LinkedIn a couple months ago, but I think it's still so important. And we were talking about this earlier about the evergreen nature of influencer content. Yeah, Influencer is not a set it and then instantly see sales two days later. Like It just doesn't operate that way. You might see a bump when a story's up and then the story goes away and the bump goes down. But sharing and saving on Instagram and on TikTok, I think is huge. When I see a lot of shares and saves, I am more excited about that than likes and comments. Because I think we're engagement tired. Like We're exhausted. We've all been engaging on social media for years. I don't like a whole lot of stuff anymore because I'm just scrolling. Yeah. But when I save something, it means I need to come back to it because something in here resonated. And when I share something, usually it's like funny stuff. But every once in a while, I'll share like a parenting tip or I'll share something with my husband like funny about servicing the car or something that I would never have known. To me, that's a really big indicator that you've got something good that's an evergreen piece of content that like maybe will pop off in six months or it'll just slowly be dispersed through the public. But I feel like people don't give enough credit to those buttons because those are like intention buttons.
1: I absolutely agree. And I've interviewed a few people already that have actually said so much too. They're all about the shares and the saves because that shows intent to purchase which I think is key and that's a measurable way to prove success as well too from an organic standpoint and I agree with you I think that you do have to marry organic with paid but I believe that with all marketing strategies not just with influencer marketing and I think my frustration comes when people just want to pigeonhole influencer marketing into this one thing it only serves this particular purpose I think it's being nearsighted you have to be far sighted with your strategies not just nearsighted yeah this is what we can do right now we talked about this earlier, it's finding the relationship between all of the strategies and how they can work together that really makes a successful, like any campaign, not just influencer campaign. You have given me so much time. I have one final question. If you knew then what you know now, what is the marketing advice that you give to yourself?
0: My biggest piece of career or life advice would be to own what you love. I know that sounds so cliche and sappy, but I wish I would have embraced my obsession with celebrity and the culture. I definitely realized early in celebrity that this was it. This is all those things I had loved that I was like, not ashamed because that's like very aggressive, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I can monetize this into a career. I figured out, oh, wow, I can. But I wish I would have had that confidence sooner. I started in like corporate PR doing thought leadership and just stuff that wasn't what I wanted to be doing. And I'm totally glad I did. I totally glad I went down the agency route because I learned so much and did it from a very like strategic and business focused way. But embracing those things about your personality or about your interests and figuring out a way to marry that with a real job, especially now you can literally anything. And there's some sort of career out there that will make sense for what you like. And just being okay with that. I think our generation, our parents will just get a job and it doesn't matter if you hate it. And now it's like, no, 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 no. Figure out what you love and f- be scrappy. Like figure out what I can do to turn that into something that I can do forever. Exactly. That is great advice. You dropped a lot
1: of really fantastic nuggets and insights and I really appreciate it. I also really appreciate that I took so much of your time, uh, more than I had scheduled for you. So I apologize. I'm going to blame you because you're a good conversationalist. So that's really what it is. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate you taking the time and just sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much. It is clearly obvious. That Katie and I had a really great time chatting with one another. I could literally talk to her forever. But here are your key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, she was inspired to write a comprehensive guide on influencer marketing based on all of her years of experience in the industry. And the guide is really based on that experience working with top brands and agencies. Now it's a comprehensive overview of influencer marketing, including industry terms and best practices. And it has a lot of insights and is really meant for anyone in the industry at different stages of running an influencer marketing program. Number two, building a successful influencer program is not just about finding an influencer to talk about your brand and giving them money. It's important to have a clear objective and metrics in mind to approach influencer marketing strategically. This includes understanding the role of influencers in brand building and storytelling, and really developing a comprehensive plan that goes beyond simply just hiring an influencer. Also, we're running into sort of this oversaturation challenge in the influencer space, which means it's becoming harder and harder to stand out, making it all more important to approach influencer marketing strategically. Number three. The ideal influencer for a brand should not only cater to their existing target audience, but also help them reach their aspirational target audience too. A little known fact, influencers can introduce brands to new platforms and demographics, and brands should use them as a vehicle to get in front of those new audiences. It's a little influencer marketing hack for you. It's important to be strategic in selecting influencers that aligned with your brand's value and messaging but also has the potential to expand your brand's reach. Now, I'd love to hear what nuggets of insights you walked away with from today's episode. Subscribe and follow on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. If you wanna learn more about them, shoot me a DM. I am obsessed with them, so I'd be happy to share all of the details. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Katie and how you can get in touch with me as well. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya Allison signing off.